buckle up for the Uncommon Leader Podcast. Just friends hanging out and breaking down leadership challenges and unwrapping techniques that can be applied to make a difference. A fun look at what is possible if we lead in an uncommon way. An invitation to be the champion we were created to be. Not your typical leadership podcast. Hey leaders, welcome back to the Uncommon Leader Podcast. I've got a great interview today with Dr. George Palma, a retired neurologist from a large health system in California who tells it like it is. I think you're truly going to enjoy what George has to say today. Let me tell you a little bit about him first. George has been instrumental in leading a lean enterprise transformation and influencing leaders to change. And you'll hear a little bit about that story during this interview today. George has also got a very unique background. He's a hospital corpsman who served in Vietnam, and he's a former senior director and healthcare consultant with IBM. Quite a journey in his life, and he's an outdoorsman, and I know that you'll have a a good time listening to him today. So without any further ado, let's get you introduced to him. Dr. Palma, aka George, welcome to the Uncommon Leader Podcast, and thanks for being a guest today. I'm excited about getting to know you a little bit better, and I'm going to throw you right into the crowd. Tell him hello, and, and then... Tell us one story from your childhood that still affects you or drives you today and who you are. I'm not sure I can tell you a story about what drives me, but I can tell you a great story from my childhood. When my dad took me to the polo grounds, I got to see Willie Mays play. And, and, and Willie was known for playing stickball outside of the arena polo grounds. And I got to see him hit Spalding, you know, red rubber ball or pink rubber ball with his with with a stickball bat. So that was one of the high points of my childhood. I was about maybe 10 or 11 then. Yeah, you start saying Willie Mays and then everybody's going to know how old you are as well, you know, as you go through that, which is kind of fun, but but no, so baseball is one of those sports, right? I mean, I can see it now. We won't have it in video, but I can see this baseball is sitting on the on the bookshelf in my office, which was my home run ball from 1981, August 6, 1981. And then I was able to share that with my nephew who just hit his first T-ball home run and they gave him the ball after the game and we were able to compare baseballs. It was so it was so much fun. So baseball can absolutely be one of those things that affects you. It sticks with you from a memory standpoint. And certainly, yeah, Willie Mays is one of those guys that I would have loved to have been able to see play as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for, thanks for sharing. My dad you know, it, it was a way for me and my father to communicate and get together because he worked like two jobs all my life. And so when he had some time off, we'd go to the polo grounds. Well, that's cool. So th- is that that's kind of the regular thing you guys you, you would go to see the baseball when you, when with your dad? Excellent way to think about that in terms of time as well. And again, that generation, when when people did work two or three jobs, getting that time had to be really important to you yeah. uh, and impactful as well. Absolutely. Well, George, you know, I, I had already introduced you beforehand as to come on, but you and I also worked together for a few years. We had a chance to do a podcast similar to this in our previous work in consulting and healthcare. But I am, I am curious. I'm again. I'm, this is really about getting to know you a little bit better. And sometimes we didn't get to share this so much in that podcast. But what's what is for you? What would you consider to be your your biggest success story in your career, especially as a leader? Well, my biggest, I think, and probably my first as a leader, once I was appointed as a phys- an assistant uh, physician in chief, was to create and lead a stroke center at our hospitals in uh, Northern California. 
And it was, it was an effort that required uh, me to stretch uh, a bit and, and also to learn about how, how working with people and changing the way that they behave at work, how, how it works and how it goes. As, as a background, in 1996, there was a, a multidisciplinary study on the use of a clot-dissolving drug called TPA in the treatment of acute ischemic stroke, that stroke where there's a blood clot blocking an artery. And, and it was positive. It showed benefit. And, and before that, the neurologists, which I am, we'd get called about a person with a stroke in the hospital and we'd you know, give advice over the phone, but there'd be little reason to rush into the hospital because there was nothing we could do. We had no effective treatment, none. Mm. So after this, I realized that you know, things were gonna change and, and indeed they did as, as organizations like the American Heart Association, American Stroke Association and accreditation organizations like the Joint Commissions, they all developed this idea that you know, now that we have a, an effective treatment, we, we need to find ways to deploy it. And the deployment was not a simple thing because before you could give this drug, which could cause bleeding into your brain, you had to do a number of very important things. And they had to be done in a short period of time. There was a window of opportunity of three hours. After three hours, you could not give this, this treatment safely. So it became clear that, that to, to my hospital senior leader that we were going to need to develop a way of managing uh, folks coming into our emergency departments with stroke. As it turns out, there was about, we had about 200 a month into the two hospitals with ischemic stroke. So the lump number was large. So I was tasked by my boss, bosses, to, to work with the template that had been set out by the uh, American Stroke Association and to, and to institute those at our uh, facilities. This meant a lot of different things that I had to do that I had never done before. For example, a key to uh, tr good treatment of a patient with stroke is, is the nursing care. And, and unless you work on a specific stroke unit, you don't have a lot of experience. So it came up that I had to make sure that the nurses were trained in what to do and how to manage problems. Now, of course, this meant that I had to sell hospital leadership on the necessity of paying for those nurses to be trained. And, and, and basically, it was a sales job. But it was made it was made sim simpler by the fact that there was a lawsuit in a, in a hospital in the Sa San Francisco area where a person was brought into the hospital with an ischemic stroke. His wife was very smart, and she said, "I want him to get that clot dissolving drug," and he didn't get it, and they sued, and they won. Wow. Hospitals all of a sudden around said, let's do it. We had a start. We had a jump start on that. You so absolutely we, had a reason for action. That was a reason for action, you know? And so the, 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 the whole thing is to work with different groups, the nurses, the nurse educators, the physicians. 
the ones who were in the emergency room who are the, you know, the, the, the point of the spear, ICU doctors, because people who get this drug have to be monitored in an ICU for 24 hours, and the, the regular hospital-based doctors, the hospitalists, because they take care of the patient afterwards. We also had to educate the neurologists. We had to also convince the doctors, emergency room doctors particular, in particular, that, that this was an effective treatment that is worthwhile doing all of this. There was a, a fair amount of uh, blowback from um, some of the medical <clears throat> societies that, no, this isn't that good and it's got too high risk and it's not going to make any difference. And so the doctors who were basically going to be administering this put a pause on it. So, so there was a lot of education of the physicians. And as we see in this COVID vaccine thing, sometimes it's hard to get people to change their mind, even when the science is clear. No, absolutely. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine the, the many different constituents that you had to deal with. And, oh, by the way, we still have this patient that we need to take care of as well. So, you know, you describe kind of the, the administration and management of a challenge. And, you know, how, how difficult was them? Was it at that time to keep them focused also on the value to the patient? Because actually, you mentioned 200 a month is, quote, a lot, but it's, it's 200. We see how many patients a day every yeah. day in terms of how did you keep them focused on the patient? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And part of it, I think, was working with the chiefs of the various departments or the nurse executives to identify the people who actually would, would be useful in doing the work. You know, I, I needed a, 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 an emergency room nurse educator. Well, they had, let's say, four of them. So, you know, and I've never worked with them. So I talked to the, the, the you know, the chief of nursing for, for that department. And she gave me a person who was interested in it and who had taken on projects like this before. So I went through everybody and identified every department, you know, who are the folks that I want working on this, knowing that they were for it and, and would, be, would be allies. No, I, I, I love that. Work. I mean, so very important in a project that big to have and identify the influencers, especially those who, to your point, they have a passion for it. They may, they still may not be the most experienced or most knowledgeable, but they have a passion for it to, to put it in place or uh, to your point, at least an interest in it. And then secondly, when you're talking with other leaders, trying to determine the leadership characteristic, will this person be able to influence others? Two very important points, passion and the ability to influence and in putting something that important in place. So let, let's 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 turn it to you specifically and your journey there. So what was what was, you mentioned the the number of constituents that you had to deal with was challenging, but what else was challenging from your own leadership development standpoint during that process as well that you had to work work well, on? I basically and 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 I basically had to learn uh, how to accept other people's expertise. You know, I I, I was a board certified neurologist. I had so many years of education. And if you've known any physicians besides me, you will know that we are, we like to be autonomous. We like to set the path. We like to give the, the orders and write down the rules. So here I am. And, and, you know, I'm 
wasn't too far off that model. So here I am I, with a diverse group of, 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 of stakeholders and participants. And, and I had to, the hardest thing was to let go of what I, what I would prescribe and allow them to, to, to help me figure out the right way to do it. I mean, that's, that's not an easy thing to do, right? I mean, I, again, when I think about leadership, okay, and what we're talking about, again, moving toward better leadership, being recognized by someone, I often think about it as, you know, someone who's going to write your name on their list that, you know, I was, this person was a great influence in my life, much like you talked about your father. There are people that have leaders in their lives that, that tell the same story about someone who had great influence. So you had the, the wherewithal to recognize that if you're going to implement that, you needed to change a little bit. Some of your, if you will, stripes uh, of being so used to making all the decisions to allowing some others. I'm, I'm curious, do you have a, a specific you know, example or you can see an experience that you had with someone where you had to do that and what, what that was like? Well, one was we had a physical therapist who is the representative of the rehab services. And, 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 and what I wanted was a certain uh, menu of therapeutic exercises, work, et cetera. And uh, his name was Bill, smart guy. And uh, Bill said, well, you know, we don't need to do that for everybody. What we need to do is careful assessments and, and then a stepwise approach to the rehabilitation. And we also need to get in there very early and start the rehabilitation within 24 hours. The, the, the quicker you start, the better off you are. So I acquiesced to him and let him, and I said, okay, you write it up for me. You give me a proposal on what you want, how much staffing we're going to require, and, and then we'll take it from there. Absolutely. I mean, again, another, I, I can imagine, George, I can, I can see that story again, because I work with it and I know how challenging that can be. And I've worked in that space where there are, I mean, healthcare is pretty easy. It's talking about physicians, to your point, want to be autonomous, go into our, you know, today's world of technology and, and the designers of interfaces, they want to do things their way as well and make that happen. So, you know, anyone who has that specific expertise wants to be recognized as the expert. When you're able to, as a leader, understand that you don't have to be the one with all the answers and that you get to ask questions, that can be really, really powerful as you go through that. George, so so now here's a reflective question in that in that whole situation. So you, you're a leader, you've been given a, a great big project, it was successful as you went through, you know that you face challenges and you've had how many years to reflect on that process? If you had advice, two or three pieces of advice for somebody new that was getting ready to go into a project with a large group of people and many different leaders with many different uh, cultures and behavior paths, what would be the advice you would give them today to, to be successful? Well, as you know, some years after I did this, my hospital did a lean transformation and I was part of that. And I said, if I had that, if mm. I had those tools, if I had that mindset, if I had the ways of measuring, then it would have been much easier. And so, so I think having a set of, of, of norms and tools that you have at your, at your, at your fingertips is really a critical thing to have. Nowadays, there's no reason to just kind of muddle through on your own. There's sure. always ways you can figure it out. A problem solving methodology 
that would be very helpful. And then the second thing I heard that you said were metrics that I could measure success and what success is going to look like, you know, how long it's going to take you to implement it, how long it should take to do each of these protocols and starting to look at when we put it in place, being able to measure success in that fashion as well. What, what, what on the personal side, that, that people side engagement, things like that, what advice would you have for individuals? Well, I mean, I had to, sometimes I'm blunt and I had to soften my approach. Okay. Particularly, you know, like, and this kind of goes back to a point I made earlier. Medicine is a very hierarchical and the doc wants to be at the top and the unit clerk is down at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But you can't, you can't get people to, you can't get people to work and do what needs to be done by maintaining all of that uh, hierarchy. You had to completely flatten it. So I became uh, close with the, like the nurses where they'd have a luncheon or something, I'd show up and we'd talk or, and, and the same thing with the educators and the, and the ER docs. So, so it became a thing where I became like a personal ambassador. I had to, I had to show the flag, so to speak. So I realized that, you know, one of the, one of the, perhaps uh, the most important part of leadership is attending to your job and, mm-hmm. and attention to you, the details of the, of your folks. No, I love I love that, George. I mean, you you, st- you started off that answer with softening the approach, and what it led to as you talk through it was what I heard was uh, humility. That you know, there's a flipping the org chart upside down, building relationships with everyone such that you were serving them rather than being served at the top of the hierarchy, if you will. And I one of the quotes that came to my mind as you went through that that I've heard before and, and read a bunch of times is people don't care how much you know, and you know a lot until they know how much you care. And that's, I think that's a great kind of finish to that. And, and how you learn is that they want to know that you care about them. And that if they, if, if you care about them as a leader, you have a better chance of succeeding regardless of the hierarchical structure that exists and the number of people that you work for. I think that's a, a great finish. George, I appreciate you sharing that story about your leadership journey. And I think my listeners are really going to uh, enjoy hearing through that. I want to finish with you and kind of give you the last word, you know, as we go through this. And it's one of these, not just specific to that project, but it's an overall, you get a chance to talk to a lot of people. While I don't know if I'll have a million listeners, I ain't too worried about that. But George, I'm giving you a blank billboard and it's in the airport in Atlanta, Georgia, and a million people a day are going to see it. They're going to walk by it every day. And you have a chance to get your message, your call to action out there to individuals. We are a, I believe right now, a country that is leadership sad. And we need people to have a positive influence on others so that they know what's really happening. What is your message to individuals that you would write on that billboard so they would see it every day? Well, given the the current um, climate in our country, with illness, with uh, racial divide, with all kinds of problems. I see, I see people kind of giving up and saying that you know this isn't uh, this isn't working anymore. My billboard would say, "When you fall down, dot dot dot, get up again." Mm. And and it's because failure is 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 going to be there. Regardless, and if you recognize that, and you recognize that you just get up again, that's way that's the way I think the world will work better. George, I love that. I appreciate those words. I appreciate you sharing 
your story a little bit with uh, me and and our listeners today. I'm sure and I hope that you would want to do this again. We'll get a chance to to talk about some other things as we grow on this podcast. But thank you for your time today. And I look forward to uh, hearing from you again soon. It's nice talking to you. Well, I told you that was going to be a fun interview. Just to summarize a few of the points that I heard, one of the first things he talked about was how hard it can be to get people to change, even when the science is clear. Secondly, he really said, you know, to understand as a leader, you don't have to have all the answers. I think that's pretty powerful. And then he had some advice for people going into a large project. And he said things like, give them the tools that they need, give them metrics so that they know if they're winning, flatten the hierarchy, let them come in and ask questions of the leaders in the organization. And finally, if you're the leader of that project, pay attention to the team and listen to them. And lastly, and his mantra was pretty cool, failure is going to be there. Get back up. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Uncommon Leader Podcast. If you get a chance, drop us a review on iTunes, or you can go to the website at www.growingchampions.net backslash podcast and subscribe or see the past episodes that are on there as well. Until next time, let's go and grow champions.